welcome to Unbroken. I'm Alexandra Amor. I'm an author, a coach, and a lifelong explorer of what it means to be human. This is the podcast where my guests and I explore the inside-out nature of life and the positive effect this can have on every aspect of our lives, including letting go of unwanted habits. You'll find episode show notes, transcriptions, your complimentary Freedom from Overeating and Other Habits video series, and lots more at unbrokenpodcast.com. And now, here's the show. Jason Shires, welcome to Unbroken. Hi, thank you. I'm uh, <laughs> excited to be here. wonder what we're going to talk about. Yeah, I'm excited to have you here. And uh, I'm kind of turning the tables on you because you have your own podcast about this understanding called Misunderstandings of the Mind. And I'll uh, I'll link to that in the show notes. So why don't we start? Why don't you just tell us a bit about your background and how you got interested in the three principles? Yeah. Um, well, it's a long story, as you, as, you know, and um, I've, I've kind of I've shared it today in a different way this morning on, a, on another uh, thing that I was on, you know, and it's like it always it gives me a sense of um, a gratitude, you know, to go back sometimes and look at the chaos and the craziness and the things that I did. You know, my life was very full of um, chaos, you know, is one of a better word. And chaos to me means everything that was I could do to avoid myself, you know, as in, in extremities, you know, with drugs and alcohol and uh, bodies and weight loss and extreme diets and... Um, seeking you know searching for myself you know money um sex relationships everything you know gambling prostitution anything i could you know at the time just to just to escape myself you know starting off with a, a horrific childhood and a tragic loss of my dad when i was young and uh and then using medicating my experience you know finding a way to cope with my internal world using something externally and I didn't really care too much what it was you know over the years um so you know drugs alcohol food relationships they were all my coping mechanism you know they were what I used to escape myself um and then for many years in the field of um psychology you know like as a as a traditional psychotherapist and um seeking you know seeking more seeking in different ways but still seeking you know it's kind of like seeking myself unknowingly in psychological concepts and qualifications and statuses because it really looked like if this thing here that i call jason i'm pointing to myself if anyone's on the audio you know like this thing here that i call jason needs to be someone in the world he has to get things you know like things being anything outside myself status money titles, letters after my name, qualifications, credentials, uh, recognition, you know, like I thought I needed those things to be okay. That's probably one of the, part of the reason why I did so many qualifications in the psychological world, you know, and, and none of them, you know, they were all in service of finding happiness, but none of them contributed to that. You know, I, 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 I did all those things. I completed them at the end. Every time I felt deflated and, and thought, well, maybe it's the wrong one. I need to another qualification. And that's why I have a few because it's like every mm-hmm. time it never did what I thought it was going to do for me. It didn't give me that, um, 
endless confidence or real belief in myself or any of those things, you know, that, that was, that I was lost in, you know? Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's so much to that story, you know, like the, the, the endless seeking with weight, you know, I know we've talked about this, but like perhaps the audience don't know, you know, it's like that, um, to the point of having seven, six or seven cosmetic surgeries, you know, to change my body on the outside, hoping that somehow it would make me happy on the inside, you know, mm-hmm. um, even twice waking up in a third world country, having been put to sleep and had a surgery, you know, it's like, it's I was thinking about that today, you know, how, how, um, desperate have you, meaning myself, you mm-hmm. know, did I, ha- did I have to be to, to go to a third world country and let, uh, in a, not necessarily a backstreet hospital. I mean, it felt pretty safe, but like it was a cheap hospital to be put to sleep, to have a cosmetic surgery, hoping to wake up thin and happy. You know, it's kind of like that was, that was the extremities that I'm talking about. You know, that I, the, the lengths that I went to and committing crime when I was taking drugs, uh, anything to get more. So it was quite extreme. My discomfort, my dis-ease inside myself, my, feelings of not wanting to be me or feeling like I'd been handed a bad hand. You know, I'd been given a bad hand in life. I had this trauma, this, and I was certainly a victim of everything. You know, that's how I felt. Um, but you know, that seeking, I like, when I talk about that, it's like, you know, inside of us, there is a knowing of home, you know, a knowledge of, something deeper, something beyond our current level of thinking, you know, it's like, it's always there. We just don't know what it is. You know, it's Mm -hmm. kind of like, and that's the thing that keeps us seeking. It's our intuition of home. It's our knowing that there's something more than the content of our experience, you know, that we're, that we're escaping from, but we just don't know that it's not, no one educates us. Hey, let's learn about emotions and how the mind works and your spiritual essence, you know, in school. It's like, let's learn, let's turn everyone into a little societal robot. You know, it's like, give them the, give them the school ages, you know, like five to 16 and then send them to college, then university and turn them out to work for one of the big corporations or like a conveyor belt. You know, it's kind of like, there's no education. If we taught children who they were, you know, and how their mind worked and give them a more emotional um, maturity. It's kind of like understanding of themselves, you know, probably be a lot more peace and love in the world, you know, and a lot and, and a lot more creativity. But I didn't know any of those things, you know, mm-hmm. so it's like, and, and, and that's how it's tuned out of us as children, you know, it's just really is tuned out of us, that intuition, that knowing of our heart, of love, of, of home, of the place of, the, the location or the the source of our well-being and um so i was always having this seeking which is the longing the the knowing and the longing for my for myself you know it's kind of like but i didn't know what that was it just it just became apparent to treat that with medicate it with anything i could you know from outside of myself so like in my seeking you know after all the therapy qualifications i turned to personal development i went um through all the tony robbins um what do you call them something university or something like it was with all his courses involved and straight away i was like thinking this is the next this is the one it's the same feeling as when i took drugs for the first time this is it you know i found i found peace in myself my mind went quiet 
and I took drugs, my body relaxed. And when I found Tony Robbins, I was like, oh, yes, this is the thing. You know, it's kind of like, it wasn't quite the same experience, but it was a similar sort of uh, thinking of finding something, you know, that was important. But pretty quickly, I felt deflated with that. You know, I just felt like something's not right about this. You know, it's kind of like... And then I started to see this whole hype thing where they got people really hyped up dancing and that and then told them, just for the next hour, you can buy all my courses, you know, at 40% discount at the back of the room. Take your credit card now. And I'd be looking and there's all these people lined up, you know, with their card out. Yes, quick, <laughs> let me let me have the deal. You know, it's kind of like, and, uh, and they were going back year after year after year after year for this you know like this uplifting feeling you know it's kind of like to get that and i kind of stood there one day it was about two o'clock in the morning and everyone was right you know all these things about beliefs and uh negative beliefs and positive beliefs and how to have more positive ones and negative and i just said i was like it just doesn't work this way it just mm. doesn't you know and i didn't do it and i i didn't go back you know i just thought there's something i'm done with this but i still had the seeking the longing you know i still really wanted and longed for something mm -hmm. i didn't understand you know and um and that's when i found michael neal and i and i think that i only found him by accident because he had a video called the path of effortless change and uh my life had been like anything but effortless it had been like walking in quicksand you know it'd been a real struggle a real um tragedy and 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 so much chaos and darkness you know and suicide attempts and different things and um when i just the word effortless was like please give me something effortless you know it's kind of like that sounds just sounds the most amazing word i've ever heard you know because mm -hmm. nothing was effortless mm -hmm. and um i watched the video i didn't think it certainly didn't have an insight you know i kind of thought oh, that was all right you know it was good you know it was kind of like there were certain things about it that mes that, that i got caught up in and found myself drifting out of my thinking about myself you know just kind of being present with you know and it was like and i never had that experience before but I, it didn't register too much with me what it was at the time you know and i but a year later i was going to la and i thought oh, i remember that guy michael neal i'd forgotten about it you know and i said he lives in la i'm sure he does so i'm going to look on his website and uh I think I was going to like a Rich Litvin coaching training or something in, in Santa Monica. And, um, and I looked on, and I was going back home on the fifth, I still remember it was the 15th of April. I was going back home and I looked on Michael Neal's website and he said, starting on the 17th of April as a three day thing. And I was thinking, this is just weird. You know, it's kind of like, how come I'm going to be there? And two days after I'm there, he's got this things thing going on. And I just had to go. And, um, so I changed my tickets and I went there and uh yeah it was the first time you know that anyone had ever you know often when I speak to groups and stuff I say you know about listening and about presence you know at the start because it was really the presence and the ability to just not critically consume information you know just kind of absorb and uh, and let wafted over me words you know it's kind of like without trying to work out if this was the next thing if it was right for me if it was wrong if it was valuable if i agreed with it or not you know all the things that the mind the brain wants to do you know it's kind of like the onboard computer that we have that that wants to lead the way in everything you know it's like you know he he just said to me why don't you just be here and see what happens mm -hmm. and i thought do you know like i've done more than 10 years of 
qualifications and training and the first thing anyone ever did was become unpresent when they sat in the room and somebody started they take their notebook out mm. now it's going to take the notebook out and i look around the room and there's just everyone's going like this you know like taking notes down frantically you know i've got to remember this got to remember that because if i don't remember it you know it won't it's not valuable to me and it's like there's no presence in note taking you know it's kind of like you're not there and um I didn't used to take notes, but I actually started in my psychotherapy training because I, because I felt uncomfortable being the only one that didn't want to take notes. You know, it's mm. kind of like, oh, yeah, I better get myself a notebook and start looking like I know what I'm doing, you know, because I just, to me, the being with people, the presence and, and the love of that was the, the appeal of everything that I did in psychology. You know, it's like, it was not about becoming academic, you know, it was nothing to do with that. I hated that part of it. But so anyway, I took my notebook out from then I took a lot of notes and then I got to this training and, you know, he said to me, you can put your notebook down. You know, I said, you don't need it. You know, if you remember and if, if something strikes you, you know, it's kind of like, you'll just go like, well, you know, mm-hmm. you'll remember that, you know, it kind of, it, it resonates with you. You have a feeling of something about something that's said, you know, it's kind of like, and actually the more present you are, the more likely you are to actually hear something, you know, and the less you're trying, efforting, you know, using the brain, the mind, the mind to, to, um, critically consume information, you know, and it was like, and I just was like, okay, for some reason, I just, there was a love in the invite, you know, and, uh, and I guess knowing what I know now, there was a knowing, you know, that of, of something that, I didn't know, you know, looking back at it, you know, there was a, there was a knowing that there's something for me to see that he'd seen that I hadn't, you know, mm-hmm. and that's all after my, I, um, offer that invitation to people when I talk to groups now, you know, it's really about seeing the, the perfect mental health that's inside of us, you know, it's like, and I hadn't seen that. I really thought I was broken, damaged. And I also, paradoxically thought I knew a lot about change just because I had a lot of letters after my name, but that hadn't really helped me find any joy, you know, but I still had the qualifications and the credentials. That's how I saw the world, you know, it's like who had the most, the biggest, the longest, the best, just kind of knew the, you know, it was the most important or had the most to say. That's just how it looked in the material paradigm of life, you know. And And in those couple of days, you know, I just had, I had this experience where, I just felt a sense of peace, you know, for the first time since I'd taken drugs, I guess, mm. you know, it was like, a, it was like, really, I just relaxed inside. And I always say to people, you know, the heaviest thing you'll ever carry is the weight of your own thoughts, you know, mm. about yourself, mm. about where you think you need to be to be okay. That's the heaviest thing you'll ever carry, you know. And it was like, I got to put that down, you know, for the first time, this years and years of, of um abuse to myself, you know, and every the guilt and the shame and the grief and everything that I carried, you know, and, and on top of that being a flawed, broken human that was, uh, um, had been told and given so many diagnoses that, you know, never, like the list was so long that you couldn't even read to the end of it. You know, it's like that in my own mind, I just thought I would never find peace. I would never be okay, you know. Mm-hmm. And I just had that experience of just, it just went, just disappeared, you know, it was just kind of like not a thing anymore, you know, like, and I realized that what I'd been suffering from and escaping was the weight of my own thoughts about myself, not a real, nothing more, you know, not a real thing that was wrong with me, um, 
not not I wasn't a flawed individual, broken, damaged, you know, or any of those things. It's kind of like they were just thoughts that I'd thought daily for as long as I could remember about myself. Just the fact that I'd thought them every single day didn't make them any more real than it, whether I'd thought them once or not. You know, it's kind of like that's just what I believed about myself. And um so, yeah, that was my long-winded answer to how did I find the principles, really. You know, it's kind of like, so that was my introduction by Michael Neal to... um seeing deeper to, to 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 being truly willing to look inwardly for the answers versus outwardly you know which is all i've done my whole life before that mm-hmm. yeah well thank you for sharing that that's it's it is such a great story and i've i've heard um you tell it before you know in a couple of different places and i'm always struck by well i just feel so much empathy for how much suffering you experience that's the first thing that occurs to me. Yeah. And uh, yeah. So thank you for sharing that with us. And um, I'm going to quote you back to you now. I remember once on one of our calls, you said, um, addiction is always the result of a busy mind. And that was huge for me. I remember I wrote it down and I put it on a piece of paper here in my office. And I'd love if you could talk a little bit about that because it was so, it was just so profound for me. Yeah, I, I love talking about this because it, it just makes so much sense to me. It's like that, like the the body mind, you know, as we are as humans, is completely intelligent. It knows it can manage everything. You know, it's kind of like, and if you really, you perhaps have never considered this. You know, it's kind of, but like, it does everything by itself, heals itself, digests. You put food in your mouth. You don't have to do your digestion. You don't have to work with any of the other systems. They just work by themselves. You break your leg, it heals. You cut your finger, it heals everything you know it kind of works that way so like if you like well i was doing a talk this morning and i was saying you know it's kind of rather than thinking about like the 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 pathologization if that's the right word of normal human response to adversity as a as as something in us that's broken you know it's kind of like that's just an idea we've been given um if you think about it as innate intelligence, addiction is innate intelligence, you know, like, and it makes sense because everything else is intelligent about the body mind system. It works by itself, as I've just explained. It's kind of like, so if we're creating or having an internal dis-ease, it makes complete sense that we find a solution to it, right? Now, the body mind, like, like, for example, the body mind doesn't know any difference between prescription drugs and street drugs. You know, it's mm-hmm. kind of, I just want drugs. I can take heroin or I can take benzos or opiates that I get from the doctor. My body's still experiencing the same thing. It does not give a shit where, where it comes from. It's the same way that it doesn't know any, there's no moral or social or uh, any values in what my body does to escape from itself. You know, so it could be compulsively eating, it could be compulsively having sex, taking drugs, doing anything. You know, it's kind of like smoking crack cocaine, drinking alcohol, whatever it is. It's But the system is still working intelligently. You know, it's mm-hmm. kind of like that. You can almost describe it like a pressure cooker, you know, and addiction is the, the valve on the pressure cooker. You know, and I, and I say that, you know, if you put, if anything keeps building up and building up in the pressure cooker, like thoughts about thoughts, about thoughts, about thoughts, thoughts about me, thoughts about the world, thoughts about everyone else, what people think of me, what I think of me, what I think of them, the more the more comes like, and there's no valve of release, you know, then, then what for a human perspective, 
like what's the next option you know it's probably suicide or psychosis you know it's like from from a mental health perspective so it's great that we that the body mind works intelligently and it finds a way to cope with its internal experience you know and it's just a different way of seeing the what i call normal human response to adversity you know i had an uh, uh traumatic and tragic experience and i found a way to cope with it you know it makes complete sense Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely and you touched on it earlier but all that seeking and longing that you experienced it struck me that that's part of our perfect design you know that and you touched on this that we know somehow instinctively that there's a way to feel at peace and and so yeah i said earlier i felt so much empathy for the suffering that caused you to to keep looking but at the same time and i experienced a lot of that as well and at the same time it's it's the thing trying to bring us home um which i love yeah i think i sometimes refer to addiction as the lost man's way to enlightenment you know it's kind <laughs> of like cuz it it, it I have I have um, empathy for anyone suffering for sure, and I don't mean to make light of it. If anyone <laughs> listening is really struggling, but like in hindsight, it always looks different, you know. Yeah. And it's like looking back and thinking, you know, not that I'm grateful for my l- loss or any of those things, but now it has happened, you know. It's kind of, and I can see the gift in it too, you know. It's like I can see the gift in. Um, in where it made me look, you know, I can see the gifts in so many areas of my life, in my presence as a parent, in my presence with people, you know, in, in so many things, in the opening of my heart to life, you know, it, <coughs> excuse me, um, I can see so, so, so many gifts in that, you know, but like, like you said, you know, it's like if I, if those things, if the suffering hadn't have been how it was, I may well have just had, uh, whatever a mediocre life is, I don't know, you know, something (laughs) different for sure, but I'm grateful for what I've got. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, I I was reading an article yesterday, there's a link from your website, and it was an an interview, I think, with Dr. Bill Pettit. And I love one of the things that you mentioned in the article was that, or that he mentioned was that changing behavior is the last step in addiction recovery and i wondered if you could talk about that a little bit because i found that really interesting yeah i think i know i think there's quite an old interview with a long article that i wrote about it in the the addiction treatment company i used to work for (coughs) um and and yeah it was because like i wrote about that and it's part of in my book as well you know there's a chapter in my book about behavioral change you know because a lot of the especially cognitive focused um psychology you know and so on and and even in psychodynamic and uh approaches it's there's a focus on like uh oh you have to stop you know you have to change your behavior you have to do more of this do more of that just take yourself in a different direction you know do be kind be kind to yourself physically don't do certain things and so on and it's like that's impossible for anyone suffering you know it's Mm -hmm. kind of like i just used to feel so so frustrated when anyone would ever suggest to me have you tried just not doing it or something or just just doing something different it's like 
if you knew what it was like to be me, like the the obsession of the mind and the compulsion of the body, it's kind of like when you're in that kind of cycle, you know, it's just too intense. You can't not do it, you know, Mm -hmm. you can't just change. So like, but there's, but it's still there, you know, behavioral change. And the thing is, is that the way that I wrote about it in my book and in the, in the article is that like behavioral change is the end result. You know, it's not, it's not where you start. It's never going to be where you start, you know, because the behavior is in service of coping with the internal, internal disease. You know, it's kind of like, it's your coping mechanism. You know, it's mm-hmm. kind of like someone's like saying, Hey, Hey, stop coping. You know, it's mm-hmm. kind of like, I'm just, just doing it. You know, it's kind of just all, it's all like in bill. It's habitual. It's kind of part of my misunderstanding of myself. It's what I need to do to be okay. It's like, I can't just stop. You know, it's like, and, and, you know, saying that, you know, people can stop for a little minute. You know, it's kind of like you can, you can go on a diet for two days or three days or something. And, and if food's your thing and then three days in, you probably like find yourself craving, longing, eating things you don't want to eat. Or you can not take drugs for a couple of days sometimes, depending on what the drugs are, but you'll find yourself going back to it or jumping from one thing to another to another. So the behavior is always the end result. You know, it's never. It's nothing to do with the problem, you know? So it's like, it's just, a, it's another form of our coping mechanism. So it's always going to be futile to try. And it's like, and like I said, you might find little moments of freedom, but they're not going to help you look at the core issue, which is your misunderstanding of yourself, misunderstanding of the source of well-being, a misunderstanding of who you are. Like, that's where you need to look, not at like what you're doing to cope with your internal disease. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. And so if it's interesting, because as a culture, we're, we're just, we're taught that so prevalently start with the behavior, right? All the techniques and strategies and uh, diets and everything else. That's where we think we should begin. So if we don't begin there, if someone's brand new to this understanding, where would they start? Do you think? Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll get to that. But you, it's okay. right what you said. It's an important point what you said. It's like just because there's whole billion dollar industries built around uh, changing your body on the outside, losing weight, going on diets, finding the supp- right supplements to support your diet, and all this stuff, right? Because there's a lot of money and a lot of identity involved. Just in that one, as an example. Uh, addiction treatment is another one where there's a lot involved in the pathologizing of normal human response to adversity. So they've taken a problem and provided a solution problem that isn't really a problem. You know, in a way, it's perpetuated the idea of us being broken and flawed individuals. So that's the, the first thing, important point to know. It's like just because there's a whole industry around something doesn't make it right. You know, it's mm-hmm. kind of like... And some people do need just a little bit of nutritional advice. They're not really escaping their suffering, you know. They just need a mm-hmm. bit of direction. But but it's just you can't you can't find the line of the you know what what what's in between that. Um, and like where you would start, you know, is the first thing is like, I mean, not always, but quite often people have had some life experience that feels sticky, repetitive, you know, it's kind of like, I keep getting into the same relationship. I don't know what it is, but it means a different person, but I have the same outcome or I keep trying to go on diets to change my body because I'm not happy with myself. 
and uh, somehow I don't last more than three days or something. You know, it's kind of like I keep gambling away my mortgage payment or whatever it is, you know, it's kind of like, um, so there's some feeling of something not being right you know it's kind of like that's you know it's kind of like and 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 that's when people start to question you know like well do I get external help do I you you know it's like where do I go and and maybe people have been getting external help for a long period of time and they're they're having more of that you know I've been having that for ages you know and it's kind of I've just been putting up with it but so we've always been on the focus on the outside you know it's kind of like so the first place to always look where I want to work with people is, oh, let's look inside ourselves, you know, mm-hmm. it's like instead of outside ourselves, you know, not to what we're doing, not to the the way you eat or the way you behave or the drugs you take or any of those things, you know, it's kind of like, but let's kind of look at what's happening inside, you know, what's mm-hmm. happening inside right now. How, how much do I know myself? How much do I know who am I? You know, it's kind of like not my name, my age, my job title, my status, my parent or my relationship status, Let's strip all those things away, you know, and start with that question, like, who am I? Mm. Oh, that's lovely. I've never heard anybody phrase it that way before. That's great. Um, and I think the, well, what, the other thing I wanted to note, to mention too, is that that same article talks about how um, we tend to look in the past for answers, um, but what it said was finding a new way to move forward and experience life allows us to live at a different level of consciousness, which I loved. And I remember you, um, I think it was on a call, a webinar with Christian McNeil and Barbara Sarah Smith talked about how, when you were getting your, having your psychotherapy training, um, they would, which and that's the paradigm is to look into the past and dig up all that stuff and you remember how it was just making you feel worse and worse and worse so i'd love if you could talk about that idea of instead just moving forward and experiencing a new level of consciousness yeah i mean like i use the word level of consciousness slightly um loosely you know because i don't mm-hmm. actually see there are any levels of consciousness but it appears, you know, as a as what you might call a concession or something, it appears that our level of consciousness can be lower when we're caught up in our mind, in our thinking, you know. So I just want to clear that up, you know. Okay. It's like that, um, when we're very busy-minded, caught up, triggered or something, it's kind of like we might not see so clearly. You might call that a lower level of consciousness. But what I'm really referring to when I say that is that, like, I'm caught up in my mind. I'm caught up in my thinking, you know. Um, and... You know, the past stuff, I mean, like, we're all a byproduct of our past, you know, it's like, I'm not saying the past is completely irrelevant, you know, but, you know, it's really important from my point of view to understand what uh, this conversation is pointing to before I even consider, you know, it's kind of like the past, because from from my current perspective of being a suffering, separate, flawed individual, Right. If I start looking at my past, the only thing I'm going to do is find more problems to resolve, feel more pain, feel more suffering, feel more darkness, further create and cement this identity that I think I am. You know, it's like and um, that's that's a horrific thing to do for anyone. 
You know, mm-hmm. it's not a useful thing to do for anyone. You know, you don't get a new relationship with the past. You know, it's kind of like, but the, but still part of you, you know, part of your whole beliefs, even unconscious beliefs and so on will be byproducts of the past. I'm not saying that they're not, but the most important thing you can know is that you're not that. You're not your past. You know, mm-hmm. it's not, it's not about getting a new relationship with the past. It's about learning to live in the present moment. It's about seeing who you are beyond your thinking about the past. You know, and when you've seen that, when you've experienced a palpable shift in your reality, when it feels like, I know I'm okay, no matter what, you know, I know I get lost in my experience from time to time, but there's a part of me that just knows that, you know, I'm not this flawed, broken individual that needs fixing. In fact, I'm, I'm, I'm fine, exactly as I am, even when I'm not, I am, you know, mm-hmm. it's like when you really know that, then you might want to look at, um, how some past traumas or adversities show up in your body, in your bodily sensations. You know, it's kind of like you've no longer got the story of being a broken, flawed, damaged individual that needs to fix themselves, but you're just still having an experience of the moment. You know, you're, somebody says something to you in a social situation, your body contracts, you feel this anger raise up inside you. You know, it's kind of like, and you feel all dark, you know, and, and it triggers you into something. You can, you can look at that. You know, it's mm-hmm. kind of like, but, but like, at that time, I think when I wrote that article, which was perhaps about four years ago, um, I hadn't seen this. You know, I hadn't mm-hmm. seen it. So it's like my own understanding is constantly evolving and, and, you know, and like, and via myself, via my own realizations about myself and what, what always brings me closer to my heart, to being more loving, to being more connected to life and to people, you know, because I'd, um, originally taken on this concept of the three principles and not really seen so much what it was pointing to, you know, the mm. beauty of the human design, but more got lost in the another psychological concept. And at that level, it can be used as a, you know, a spiritual bypass. It's like, like almost like I'm a human without a body. You know, it's kind of like I don't want to feel my feelings because I've misunderstood, misunderstood something that I've misunderstood, something that's been taught into me you know i've taken it the wrong way adapted it to find this spiritual bliss that i think is on the other side of something that i am you know it's like so that puts a little bit of information around kind of how i see it now versus what i saw at the time of writing that you know but it it, it still makes complete sense you know it's like i think that um if we really think the, the the litmus test is, you know, like if if I really think I'm broken, damaged, and so on, it's kind of like looking in the past, you know, via some sort of therapy or traditional psychological process. It's probably going to bring me more pain, you know. It's mm-hmm. like, but if I'm living a joyful life, you know, and I, I'm content, and I know who I am, and I'm I'm pretty much okay most of the time, and these things show up, it's okay, you know, to be to learn to be with my body, with whatever it's bringing to me in the present moment, you know. Hmm. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's an interesting um, contrast and comparison. Yeah, yeah, I like hearing that. Um, I was wondering if you could compare your twelve-step um, experience to this understanding. And I guess what I'm asking is, um, you know, what differences do you see? What similarities do you see? And I didn't know until very recently that Bill W., who co-founded the 12-step program, and it was actually in this same article that I'm talking referring to, um, 
had essentially had an uh, an enlightenment experience or a you know a big insight and then from what i understand he sort of created the 12 steps to kind of um reverse engineer to help people to have that same experience so i just love you as we're wrapping up to kind of touch on that i think it might be interesting for people yeah he did. You're exactly right. You know, it's kind of, if you read about Bill's experience, he had that kind of similar to Sid Banks type moment, you know, mm-hmm. it's kind of, but he'd been exploring all sorts of stuff, psychedelics, Jungian type shadow work and different things, you know, it's kind of like, so uh, and the thing with the 12 steps is that Bill had his experience. He tried his best to pass it on to people. You know, it's kind of like, so the 12 steps are what I call the recipe, right? If you imagine a cake recipe and method, you know, a list of things you need and how to do it, you know, the other, and the method. Now, the method has gone through a million people, you know, it's kind of like, and you know, what Chinese whispers are like, right? Everyone's played that game. You know, by the time you got to five people, the story's completely changed. It's kind of, so you can imagine the method going through a million people across country to country, group to group, year to year. It's kind of like, who knows if what people are teaching today are what Bill really meant, you know, it's kind of like what he wanted for people. But, but, but the thing is, you can't argue with the size of the 12 step fellowships, the value. And for me, saved my life and, and a lot of my friends' life. So I can't say anything bad about that. You know, in, in a, in my most gentle way, I'd say the 12 steps is a better lie than the one I was telling myself before I went there. You know, it was a different belief to adopt and it served a purpose for the time. But, um, and, and I, and, you know, I hear, I, I do hear a lot of wisdom in 12 step meetings. I just think people don't know what it is. You know, it's kind of like that. They really have adopted this belief of this unexplainable phenomena, you know, and, and that they can't, because that's what I was told, you know, and I was so naive when I went to rehab. You've got a disease. It's unexplainable. You need to do these things to be okay. You know, it's kind of like, and you've got to find a spiritual higher power. It's kind of like, well, I was my whole 20 odd years in 12 steps, you know, I was asking myself and other people, what is a spiritual awakening? You know, I didn't really know. I had no clue. And no one had ever really pointed me to any of those things. So it served a great purpose. You know, it's like uh, it kept me clean, you know, and um, I went on some beautiful adventures, had all sorts of experience, met some great friends. I went in prisons, institutions, did all sorts of stuff, you know, with the 12 steps. It was always something I was passionate about. But saying all that, there was, for me, there was always a, still that longing inside of me for something, to know something more, you know, to know mm-hmm. something deeper about myself. And, you know, if you think, like, one of the things I said and I hear quite often in 12 steps is, oh, all I wanted to do was to belong my whole life. And I found something here that I belong to. Mm. So I cling to that belonging, feeling part of it, because it qualifies my identity. You know, it gives me an identity, because I'm identityless. I think that I'm Jason, flawed individual. You know, I don't think that I'm part of the oneness, the wholeness of life, the spiritual energy that we're all part of. I don't think that. I think I'm a flawed, separate individual. So, like, belonging to a club, you know, feels like a great thing. Mm. It's like... But you could look, you could flip that on its head and say, well, the fact that I long to belong to a club full of people that consider themselves damaged tells me that there's something with what I know today missing from my understanding of myself. Mm. You know, because when I'm connected to who I am, when I know who I am, when I'm willing to just be with my experience, when I see that I'm part of the 
spiritual intelligence behind life. I don't need to belong to any club. You know, mm-hmm. it's kind of like I, I see that I'm part of the human race. I'm part of connected to everyone. Mm-hmm. You know? So, yeah, I don't want this to sound bad, but, you know, the tour steps was great. It served a huge purpose. It saves a lot of lives. It's a beautiful experience. Uh, and many people feel evangelical and fanatical about it, you know, and it's like, great. You know, if that works for you, do that. You know, I never mm-hmm. say to people, don't. I never advise people not to do it. And also be open to there being something more, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, well said. That was great. Thank you so much. Um, we're almost out of time. So why don't we, why don't you tell us, let us know where we can find out more about you and your work? Uh, the easiest place to find me is my coaching site, wideworldcoaching.com. Um, or like you said, listen to the podcast more. Come, there's many beautiful conversations. You know, even a friend just contacted me yesterday. We've been friends for, even before I started the podcast and he'd never listened to it until the last couple of months. You know, mm. it's kind of like, and he just said to me, I've listened to all your podcasts. He said, I really like this three principles thing. It sounds really good, you know, and it's like, and I was like, Oh wow. You know, that was because it was some of them have been a few years old now. It's like, but they're yeah. still such valuable conversations, you know, where we have open and uh, beautiful um looking at kind of what's true about life and what isn't and what's true about suffering and individuality and who we are and how the mind works and different things like that and you know if if one person hears something that's valuable i think that that's always the most important thing you know mm-hmm. yes yeah and they are beautiful conversations i've enjoyed so many of them well thank you jason this has been amazing thank you for chatting with me today thank you take care bye bye Thank you for listening. I hope you found the show helpful and uplifting. You'll find all the backlist episodes and show notes at unbrokenpodcast.com. If you'd like to connect, go to alexandraamore.com forward slash connect. I'll see you next time.